This is episode number 131 with Michael Stelsner of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary Vee, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan and I am your host coming to you live from Melbourne, Australia. I'm the CEO of Founder Magazine and today you're going to be hearing an awesome conversation that I had with uh, someone I can actually be humble to call a friend, uh, Michael Stelsner who's the founder of a company called socialmediaexaminer.com. And uh, these guys are absolutely killing it in the media space. And we talk everything media and events. If you want to know how to run a high-class, world-class event, I've, you know, I spoke at Social Media Marketing World last year, and I'm speaking again this year. It's an amazing event. Uh, they have at least you know three thousand, four thousand people every single year. It's insane what they do with their events, and uh, you know it's just really, really crazy the growth that he's had for this blog. You know, it's it's a news website. It's the leading authority brand on social media content. So if you want to know anything about social media, you go to socialmediaexaminer.com. And uh, yeah, we have a great conversation about everything uh, media, social media examiner, events, and everything growth, marketing, and uh, how the business is going. So yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation. I know you're going to learn a ton from Michael. He's a very, very humble guy, very, very smart guy. And uh, that's it from me. So if you guys are enjoying these episodes, please do take the time to leave us a review. It would help more than you imagine. And also, check, please do check out the Fruits of Our Labor. Just uh, check out the magazine. Just go to founder, F-O-U-N-D-R.com. And uh, we're here to help. All right, now let's jump into the show. The first question I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job? So I... 20 years ago, believe it or not, I was working in corporate America. I got wrongfully terminated because the CEO of the company thought I saw him doing drugs and I didn't even know he 
had a drug problem. And long story short, I went off on my own. And my first gig was I was a, uh, I started an agency, a creative agency. And back then we're talking mid nineties. So I was helping businesses develop their very first website. And I was working on things like annual reports for companies, logos, anything creative, anything visually creative or written creative. Then uh, eventually established a name for myself in the high tech space, transitioned over to uh, writing around 2001. I started writing white papers, which are longer articles slash uh, pieces that are kind of persuasive yet also uh, educational. And I wrote a book called Writing White Papers, became really well known uh, in the writing world. And then in 2009, I decided to start Social Media Examiner. And the story there is I noticed that around 2009, a lot of people were talking about social. And in particular, Facebook and Twitter were very popular. And I, at this time, had developed a lot of great relationships with writers and marketers because marketers wanted these white papers to help them generate leads. And the writers were the people, thousands of -of out-of-work journalists that I had trained on how to get into this new industry. So I just decided to see if I can grab the domain, Social Media Examiner. I was able to get it and uh, decided I would run an experimental project, which was to see whether or not if I wrote detailed articles about social media, whether I could grow following. So that's how I got this job. And uh, how long have you been running Social Media Examiner for? Seven years. Uh, October 12th of 2009 is when we started it. So seven years and a couple of months. Yeah, wow. Okay. And uh, can you give uh, the audience some um, perspective on on how far you've taken it? Because this is an authority brand that you've built. You guys, I I believe, and consider the authority um, source when it comes to social media stuff. Yeah, we uh, we have 1.2 million people a month that read the blog, and uh, we email 530,000 people uh, three days a week with our uh, articles, and then we have a podcast that gets about 250 to 300,000 downloads a month. So it's gotten pretty large. Um, I know from a from a blog perspective, we're definitely one of the larger business blogs on the planet. Yeah, wow, and. You run an incredible event uh, that uh, I was lucky enough you you asked me to speak at, which was insane. Uh, was that five thousand people? Uh, it might have felt that way. <laughs> that was our fourth year, and there was three thousand people there. Okay, gotcha. Um, and it was called social. We should mention it's called Social Media Marketing World. Yes. Yeah. No. That that was an incredible event. I don't. I've never really because I'm quite new to business and this kind of stuff. Um, I didn't really go to many events before that, um, and yeah, that that was an amazing event, really, really mind blowing, and I made some incredible networks from that event, so it was really, really valuable. Um, so, if anyone is interested in social media and uh, getting to know like minded people that are interested in too, I found it really, really valuable. Thank you. So, okay, so let's um, let's talk about you know what what the early days looked like because. When you started seven years ago, was there an authority brand in the space at that point in time around social media? There were thousands of bloggers that were talking about social media, but they were mostly griping about what was wrong with it. They were almost like opinion bloggers, like I hate Facebook because of this, or 
Twitter sucks because of this, or I wish LinkedIn would do this. At the time, there was really nobody that had a multi-author blog, meaning, you know, not just one person's opinion, but many different writers that was really talking about social media, uh, frankly, at all. So I saw it kind of as a greenfield opportunity because what I had, you know, built up was a lot of relationships with excellent writers. And some of the marketers that I had known had gone on to social media. So a lot of people were coming out of different kinds of industries in marketing and kind of pivoting into this hot new thing called social media. But there was really very little competition. Uh, Mashable was the big competitor back then. And back then, Mashable was the news site that you went to to learn about social media. So they would break news about anything and everything related to social. Uh -huh. So you could say that they were the authoritative site. But the issue is back then, Mashable was not publishing how-to pieces. They were publishing news pieces. And there's a very important distinction there. And that's how we were able to stand out. Gotcha. And so, yeah, tell tell us like what the first few months of Social Media Examiner looked like. Off it air, was insane. <laughs> yeah, off air, you said you had a really good year, um, your first year. Yes. Um, um, I'll, I'll, I'll share a little bit of the story. So up to this point, I had developed a very successful consulting practice where I was making a good $500,000 a year um, just writing white papers for huge corporations like FedEx and Dow Jones and Microsoft and Hewlett Packard and Motorola. And I had a waiting list of people that wanted to work with me. So I used the money that I had built on this consulting business as a writer of white papers to fund the growth of Social Media Examiner. So um, the story was that I ended up going to a conf two conferences. I went to uh, Blog World, which doesn't exist anymore. And I went to uh, Marketing Profs B2B conference. And I brought a camera guy with me to one of the conferences. And I just did interviews with all these experts on location, little 10 minute segments with a lot of people that were quote unquote, the famous people on social media. No one was doing this. You know, I was dressed in a suit. I looked very professional. Everyone else was in shorts and t-shirts and I had a camera crew with me. And as far as they were concerned, I was like legit. And I remember walking up to the booth of one of the big uh, companies back then called Technorati. And I said, hi, I'm with Social Media Examiner and I would love to interview your CEO. And the gal who's working the booth pulls up her little iPhone. You know, back then it was probably like generation one iPhone. Mm -hmm. And she types in socialmediaexaminer.com and she immediately says, oh, Richard, here's Michael with Social Media Examiner and he would like to interview you. We were three days old. <laughs> <laughs> but the perception was that we'd been around forever because we had this, you know, nice little uh, microphone with our brand on it and everything. So I got to, it broke me through rapidly because I was very professional. And a lot of people I met that day included people like Chris Brogan, who at the time was one of the key thought leaders in the world of social media. And he's now a good friend. So what ended up happening was I had these videos and I released them like one a week for many months on the website. And it got a lot of press for these uh, for the for social media examiner and it got a lot of exposure for these these authors because uh, a lot of these people had never had on camera interviews that were professionally done before and um in the very beginning i was writing one blog post a week nathan and then i had uh, recruited some friends to write one per month and i told my friends you can write one per month until it's not working for you anymore and one of those friends was a gal named mari smith and if you don't know who she is, she is the queen of Facebook marketing. And what ended up happening was as soon as we launched this site, because I had developed relationships, frankly, for quite some time 
prior to starting Social Media Examiner, I had a, a newsletter that went out and I would interview these social media people uh, in writing and I would promote them in the newsletter. So I kind of already kind of had some track work in place. But what ended up happening was in the first 90 days, we got 10,000 email subscribers on our list. Wow. And, and that was back in 2009. And that was like really a huge deal. And uh, we went on to uh, have a $1.4 million first year. Wow. Interesting. Now, can you talk to us about the business model? Because what I was really, really excited to talk to you about, Michael, was not so much social media tactics and strategies. I'll leave that to you guys. You guys, you guys own that stuff. But I think you've built a very, very successful media company. And I really want to understand the thought process behind that and the business model behind that. Because a lot of people, you know, there's no doubt about it. A lot of people say you can't build, you know, a successful media company. There's a lot of you know, media companies going bust because they don't have a solid business model. And I think what you've done is really, really, you know, just so impressive. Um, so can you talk to us about how you made, you know, that that amount of money for the first year? Yep. Um, yep. And talk to us about um, the model behind what you're doing now as opposed to the, 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 you know, your first year. Yep. So first of all, we um, did not take any display advertising. So from the very beginning, we did experiment it like in, with for a little while, like year two after we got kind of big, but we realized that was never going to be the business plan. We were never going to be a company that made our revenue by having ads on the website. So that was the first thing. Um, so we had nothing advertised on the website in the beginning. It was purely just a destination and it was part of a, we were, our goal was to create a movement. And the idea was we postulated that if, if there was nothing for sale there and there was only value there, then people would feel like very compelled to want to share it. And that was very, very important for us in the early days was getting people to share our content on social. Because if there's one thing that I knew back then was that content about social media went viral on social media, especially if it was well-crafted. Mm. So the business model, the plan all along was to build the list to 10,000 email subscribers and then begin selling something. The philosophy that I, I wrote about this in my second book launch, the idea here is that when you begin to sell, that's like uh, friction. It's like flaps coming up on the airplane when you're coming in for a landing. It slows you down because people look at your content as just a, a veil to get something to buy. And instead of selling anything, all we did was we gave away something. So we encouraged people to not miss our future articles. And I created a one-hour video with Twitter tips back then on how to succeed with Twitter. Mm -hmm. And the only way to get it was to get on the email list. And um, that was very successful. Everybody loved it. They, and the list grew very, very rapidly. Once we hit 10,000, and by the way, I should say it was just me in the beginning. And to be clear, I am the sole owner of this company. We never took venture capital. I own 100% of the business. I never, ever financed anything. I bootstrapped the whole thing. So um, my goal was, you know, I was basically bankrolling it off the other business. So once we hit that 10,000 email subscribers, or once it became clear that we were headed to that trajectory, I decided how we were going to monetize it was going to be through online training. Just to roll back the story a little bit, Nathan, mm. in, 2000, in early 2009, 
actually even a little further. When I was the white paper guy, people would pay to hear me interview other people. So um, I would have like 50 to 100 people pay $39 to hear me interview someone for an hour yeah, wow. over, over, over the phone, okay? It was a teleclass is what we called it. And all it was was me interviewing people because I'm, I know it's one of my gifts. And um, good writers know how to interview people anyways, right? So I would just interview these authorities in the writing world and I had built relationships with a lot of these people because many of them had written for my white paper publication. And um, I had decided I wanted to do a physical conference and I was going to do it in Chicago. And this really high profile guy uh, named Bob Lye, who's a big time copywriter, I said, I would love to have you speak. And he said, you know, he's a slightly older guy. And he said, you know what? I don't like speaking. I don't want to speak anymore. I don't want to travel. And I said, well, hmm, what if I did an online conference? And he said, I can do that. So I developed the very first online conference back in like 2007. And I, I basically uh, combed together some webinar technology from Microsoft mm. and figured out a way to bring like 10 copywriting experts together and we did something called copywriting success summit and there's this guy that had a private island on second life which is one of these old-fashioned places <laughs> that's kind of like minecraft you know mm. um and people we we had after parties on this private island it was all done virtually and i sold like 300 tickets to this thing and this guy told me you know you're pretty good at this you should consider doing more of this so then i did one on social media in the spring of 2009 before I started social media examiner gotcha. and this, this guy that no, that very few people had heard of before was, was my keynote. His name was Gary Vaynerchuk. Ah, and, there you go. And, um, he, uh, was pregnant with his daughter. His wife was pregnant with Misha, his first daughter. So I moved the entire event to accommodate him. My friend, Mari Smith said, you know, he's, He's, he's becoming a big deal. So he was my online keynote for my very first social media success on it. We sold like 700 tickets to it and it was like a blockbuster event for us. And it was online and we were completely blown away. And it was the success of the very first social media success on it eight years ago that, that gave me the idea that maybe I should start a website dedicated to social media. So fast forwarding, you can see I kind of had a proven business model before I started Social Media Examiner. Mm. I mean, so what I was going to do, the, the hope was that if I could grow the uh, audience through a media publication, then I could have another social media success summit and sell it to the people that were Social Media Examiner email subscribers. And that's exactly what I did in the spring of 2009. I had Social Media Success Summit 2, if you will, and we sold 3,100 tickets to that event. Yeah. Wow. And then we went on to have Facebook success summit in the fall. And we went on to have three of these events a year. Uh, we eventually over the years had, we always had Facebook success summit and social media success summit. And then every year we would come up with a different one. Like we'd have small business success summit or copywriting success summit. So we did three online conferences a year and that's how we were able to grow the business in the early days. Gotcha. So what happened next? Cause you guys do, like I said, like an incredible in-person live one, like live in person now. Um, what happened? Yeah. So along the way, the social media success summit was the big one. That was the one that clearly we sold the most tickets to. And like we just finished our eighth annual social media success summit. And we had um, 
2,500 people come to that. We had like 30 to 40 speakers. But along the way, we began to realize that as this marketplace became more competitive, that there were um, all sorts of different ways. Because, you know, over the years, people saw what we were doing at Social Media Examiner and they started replicating it or copying us, right? Mm. Because when you're the first, then you kind of have a, a green field. But eventually people will look at what you're doing and they will start doing it. Now there's 10,000. I mean, there's a lot of online success summits now. And a lot of people, yeah. you know, use the exact same success summit. I've seen them all over the place. Yes. And some are free even. So a lot of times now people are just using them as email acquisition exclusively, not even, you know, charging for it. But we've charged from day one. So um, along the way, we spun out different products. One of them was called the Social Media Marketing Society, which is about a year and a half old. That's our membership organization where people pay $50 a month to get three original trainings every month, 90-minute uh, workshop-style trainings. And um, that's almost like an online summit spread out over a whole year. So we have thousands of people that belong to the Social Media Success Summit. And then in 2013, we started Social Media Marketing World. And I'll tell you a quick funny story on that. I was at my friend Joe Polizzi's event Joe is the founder of the Content Marketing Institute, which he just sold for like $17 million. And he, um, he has an event called Content Marketing World. And I went to his event, I think it started in 2012, and I was blown away at how calm he was. And he had like 600 people at his first conference. And I'm like, how are you so calm? He's like, oh, there are people who are event planners. And you can hire them to do all the operational heavy lifting. I'm like, are you kidding me? So all of a sudden, mentally in my brain, I shifted into gears. I'm like, I started taking pictures of everything, started taking notes. And I said, you know what? I can do this. So we launched in um, the spring of 2013, our very first conference, Social Media Marketing World. And we had 1,100 people at the very first physical conference. And that was like a huge eye-opener for us. Gotcha. That's, that's incredible. And, that, along, and, and Phil, did he work on that one? Oh yeah. Phil's been with me for like seven or eight years. Yeah. He's been there all along. He used to help me with the online events and now he's, he's the director of all of our events. Gotcha. No, he's a great guy. Phil Mershon. Yeah. 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 Great guy. Um, okay. Interesting. So talk to us about where you see social media examiner going in the future for, in terms of the model. Well, the, the key part of our business plan is to aggressively grow social media marketing world. We hope to have 4,000 people there in March of 2017. And we have an aggressive plan, uh, Nathan, to get to 10,000 people by 2019. Wow. So, so yeah, we're talking 50% growth from last year to 2017. Or no, I'm sorry, 33% growth, right, from 3,000 to 4,000. And then 50% growth from 4,000 to 6,000 in 2018. And then 65% growth to go from 6,000 to 10,000 by 2019. And that's the plan is to grow a mega conference. The city of San Diego believes that we are the next Comic-Con. And um, we are aggressively building out this to be a mega conference. Gotcha. And, and how do you do that? Because it's very difficult. Like It's outrageously complicated. <laughs> yeah, because like talk to me about that because uh, people will find this interesting because we actually ran our first event for Founder for that for the book Founder version 1.0. It's on Kickstarter right now 
and we ran just like a little launch party. We had, um, and we charged for the tickets. We only charged 40 bucks and we had, you know, just in Melbourne and we had, um, we didn't, we didn't mail it out to anyone. We just, just let our community know, not even on over email, just in a few Facebook groups and stuff. And we sold about 120 tickets, uh, no, sorry, 110 tickets and about 80 showed up and it was a great event. It, it was a success. So talk to me how you like thousand, thousand, you know, well, that. first of all, first of all, <laughs> you got to have a really big following. Okay. So it helps that we have such a monstrously huge following. And I don't mean just on the social channels. I mean, across all channels. Mm -hmm. So when we have, we're talking millions, you know, across all of our channels, that helps a lot. But the best way to really grow something is to create something that's of such high quality that people talk about it. And, you know, you said yourself that it was an amazing experience. We work really hard to make sure that everybody who comes to that conference feels the same way you felt when you came for the first time. And that is a very important piece of marketing, which is the user experience. If you can just kind of exceed expectations, because, you know, a lot of people have been to a lot of conferences and there's a lot of things about a conferences that are frankly just not good. And I've been to bazillions of conferences because I used to be, you know, a speaker who went on the speaking circuit and all that stuff. And I just noticed a lot of things that were horrible about conferences. For example, they, uh, they don't give you any details. You show up, you have no clue what's going on. It's kind of every man for themselves. The networking is typically in a bar and you know, you can't even hear your own voice. So no one, so everyone's looking at their iPhone, uh, just all these things that are horrible about conferences I'd been watching for years and I just decided, you know what? And, and by the way, a lot of my friends do conferences and I've been telling them you need to try this and no one would ever listen to me. So I just decided to start employing a lot of these techniques to my own conference. And now as a result of some of the stuff we do, Phil Mershon, our event director is asked to speak at national conferences on conferences because we do so many things that are completely unheard of in the conference space. Yeah, so wow. that's the key. You know, the key is to create something and it takes years to build it. We're coming up on our fifth year, but what ends up happening is if you create something, an experience that people love, they will share it socially all over the place. And what I hear from a lot of people when I go to conferences is that whenever our conference is going on, Facebook explodes everywhere and people just can't stop talking about it. Um, and that's what you want. You want to create those kinds of experiences that, that make people want to pull out their phone and film it or Instagram it or whatever. You know what I mean? And just kind of get those experiences into their Instagram stories or on Snapchat or on the Facebook or Twitter or whatever platform they use. And we just create lots of those kinds of experiences. And it does kind of create kind of a, it's, it's almost like it becomes its own beast and it has a reputation. And then once something has a reputation and everyone talks about it, then you start getting people saying things like, I've been meaning to come for years. I'm so excited I'm coming this year. And that's the kind of stuff that just takes a lot of hard work and dedication to kind of build. Mm, yeah, I see. And like this year's event that had 3,000, how many people did you have doing stuff? Because it looked like you had a massive amount of people. We had a lot. Um, we probably, our team was probably almost 200 people. Wow. And then we had, and then we had all the speakers, which was another 150 approximately. So when you count all the speakers and all the staff and personnel, it's a monster undertaking. Now, when I say our team, 
that includes a lot of volunteers. We have, we have what we call a volunteer army. There's a lot of people that love us and love our event and have even been in the past, but can't come because maybe financially it's not working for them. So we love to make those people volunteers and those people get a chance to experience the event, but also work the event and kind of understand that we're trying to create a Disney like experience and understand our service uh, focus and everything like that. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's really awesome. A big chunk of that is volunteers. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, um, that's really cool. So can you make events profitable? <laughs> it's our primary <laughs> product. It's our primary product and we make money. Yes, we make good money. Um, but to make an event profitable is not easy. I mean, you know, you did an event, you probably lost money on that event. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. How'd you know? Yeah. <laughs> because I do events. I know how this stuff works. Yeah, but ours wasn't ours was extremely small scale, wasn't there to make yeah. money. Yeah. yeah. It was just for community. So the big the big costs with events are um food, the space, the venue. Uh we rent an aircraft carrier for our opening night party. Did you make it over to the aircraft yeah, carrier? Yeah, yeah, that was cool. That's not cheap. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so these things cost a lot of money, but they, but they're worth the investment. Like I remember the, our first year we were inside of a a natural history museum, you know, where you could network among dinosaurs and stuff like that, Mm. which was cool in its own right. But then the next year we knew we were going to outgrow that venue. So we looked at this aircraft carrier and I said, man, I wonder if we can get that. Can we afford that? And I went out on a limb and I said, okay, we're going to do it because I just knew it would be an unforgettable experience. Right. I mean, Mm. it's, it's one of the few things that it, that kind of imprints permanently in your brain, right? Because who has a party on an aircraft carrier? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy that you say that because, yeah, I had a few too many drinks, so <laughs> I wasn't really thinking that straight. You probably don't remember it. <laughs> no, There's I do, pictures. but that was awesome. <laughs> awesome. So um, a lot of people, you know, would look at look at your brand and, and um, ask, are events scalable? Like you do online training, how come you're not looking to scale up the online training? I know you've got your membership site, but like individual courses, you know, really, really looking to scale that up because it is much more scalable. Yeah, here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. Um, I, first of all, I'm a perfectionist. I'm going to self-disclose that I am a perfectionist. And if there was a perfectionist anonymous, anonymous, I would be leading the group. Mm. And um, the challenge with anything is the amount of energy it takes to market it. And this is the secret to anything, right? Nothing sells itself. It has to be marketed. And um, the challenge is the amount of work that takes it takes to promote something like social media marketing world is huge. And the um, amount of work it takes to promote a 40-person event is also large. So the idea of constantly having different courses that we're launching doesn't sit well with me because I'm a believer of a, I coined this uh, thing called the elevation principle in my book and it's called great content plus other people minus marketing messages equals growth. And remember I talked about how promotion and marketing and selling kind of is like the flaps on the airplane and it slows you down. Mm. So I don't like to always be selling because if I'm always selling, then I'm not going to be able to grow. And we're growing our email list by 20 to 25,000 people per month because we're not constantly selling. And I believe in having seasons. 
kind of like a television show has seasons Mm -hmm. and we have our seasons where we sell stuff and then we have our seasons where we don't sell stuff, but we sell enough stuff during those seasons that it funds everything else. So, um, while we could have courses constantly, I would much rather group them all together and call them social media marketing world because that's essentially what it is, right? Yeah, exactly. Social media marketing world has workshops. It has sessions. It has everything. And if it's one thing I learned over the years is that, you know, it's a lot of work to, to create one thing and then sell it. It wasn't until I grouped them all together in my first online conference that I began to saw the power of grouping things together and selling them as a package, as an experience that has a start date and an end date. And what that's what's great about live events is that they, you know, they have a date tied to it and people are either there or they're not. And that's, I think, the magic about what we do is everything that we sell is live. Let's talk about events. Like um, you said, you said um, they are quite expensive. Could you give maybe, you know, three to four, maybe five key pieces if someone wants to put on an event, make it profitable or make it a great venture? Like what what is required? What what are the things in in Michael Stelzner's world that requires? I'll tell you that the uh, three magic pieces that I think work for us are networking, discovery, and fun. So, um, and actually we have those three words as kind of our tagline for social media marketing world. I think when you do an event, there needs to be a networking component to it because people that go to events want to connect with people, certain kinds of people, and they want to have the option to meet the kinds of people that they want to meet. So if you can figure out a creative way to implement networking that even an introvert would enjoy, and my guess is you're an introvert, is that right? I don't know. I don't really like to label myself either or, but I, I do really like people. Like I, well, I, an I introvert people. would prefer to go retreat at three o'clock in the afternoon and recharge yeah, when no, they're that's exhausted. Not me. No, that's not me. Yeah. An extrovert <laughs> would say like, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to talk to other people. Yeah, so, so creating an event that works for even the introvert, you know, that gives them a reason to want to say, I'm going to push beyond that boundary, even though I'm exhausted and keep talking to people. That is absolutely powerful. Um, so that's the first thing is you've got to understand the importance of networking. Secondly, the content it needs to be excellent. And in reality, people buy events because of the content. They come back because of the networking. And this is important. So um, what sells people on an event is that they will come and they will discover something that will make them better. Uh, marketers, entrepreneurs, whatever. So the content needs to be exceptional. No matter what you do, it needs to be really your best or you need to have the best people, even if they're not known, but excellent teachers. So that's that's really, I think, what ultimately helps sell tickets is the quality of the content. And then um, the fun component kind of is like an emotional angle. Like most people, you know, don't come because of the fun. And they may not even come because of the networking. They come because they are hopeful that they're going to discover something that's going to move the needle for them. But if they if they discover something that moves the needle for them and they have fun, then all of a sudden it's like taking it to an entirely new level. And the fun component should never be underestimated. And fun typically could mean almost anything. It could just mean smiling faces, greeting people, making people feel more comfortable. It could mean parties. Like in the past, we've had a, uh, indoor beach party 
and we actually had an indoor surf machine. <laughs> so you could get up on the surf machine, and then if you fell off, you fell into an air bag kind of thing, you know. Um, but we'd, we, we would do cool contests and surfing contests. Uh, we, we've always had karaoke, you know, where you get to sing and stuff. So just fun stuff that is like the kind of fun stuff that you would normally like to do if, when you're hanging out with your friends. So, um, so the networking and the fun and the content all combined is very rare in an event. But if you can figure out how to add, how to do all three of those with excellence, that's when you will create a really, really happy customer that even if they don't come back, they'll let their friends know you ought to go to that event. Love it. All right, let's switch gears and talk about the content strategy because that's 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 the essence of of what's driving the growth. Like yes, the event, I agree, but the core the core business is content, right? Absolutely. So, yeah, we're a media company. Yeah, that's right. So, if somebody wants to, you know, start an authority brand like you have uh, in a particular niche, what's your best advice if you want to go for the whole content player building a successful media company? Um, I'm I'm really curious around that. Yeah. So first, start with research. Okay. And this could mean lots of things, but first and foremost, understand the space that you want to get into. So who are the players? What are they doing well? What are they not doing well? How could you find a little unique space for yourself in there? So for example, when I started Social Media Examiner, I noticed no one was writing detailed how-to pieces. I knew that would be my differentiator. And also most of them were not didn't have a background in writing. They weren't professional writers. So I, I knew that those two things would be my secret sauce to go into a crowded marketplace. So study, study, study the marketplace and then try to find some way to differentiate yourself because there is no industry that cannot be disrupted. I don't care how good you are or how good the space is or how good you think the people are that are in that space. There's always room for innovation. There's always room for a different spin or an angle on something. Secondly, it's really important to try to understand who it is you want to reach in extreme detail. So for example, if I asked you, Nathan, who are you trying to reach with your publication? You probably, and I'm not going to put you on the spot, but you probably know a lot about who they are. And the best way to know about them is actually to put some sort of a survey together. So at social media examiner, every year we run a survey to, thousands. I think we had 5,000 people take it this year. And we asked them all sorts of questions about things they want to learn about, things that they plan on doing. And then we also asked them like what I call the demographic questions. What part of the world are you in? How old are you? How many hours a week are you spending doing this? And the list goes on and on and on. You know, we would ask them, I'm forgetting some of the demographic questions that we would ask them, but lots of questions. Mm. And then that would allow us to really understand exactly who our audience is. And it would allow us to be smart about planning our editorial content. In regards to content, how has it changed in terms of the quality of content at scale that you're producing? I'm really curious around that. Like year one, how many pieces Fast forward to now, how many pieces per day, per week? We publish eight articles a week. Back in the beginning, we were publishing like three or four articles a week. So it's not changed that much. There are other media entities that publish 30, 50, 100,000 articles a day. It's not our play. If you look at somebody like Mashable, my guess is they're probably publishing at least 50 to 100 articles a day, short articles. Mm. 
if you look at somebody like Social Media Examiner, we publish one to two articles a day, long articles, 1,000 to 2,000 words. We haven't fundamentally altered that. You know, we've sometimes we've scaled back to six a week and scaled up to 10 a week. But we um, we don't believe at this point it's about a quantity play. It's about a quality play. It's just not kind of wise to go crazy and publish lots of content because think about it, Nathan, any piece of content can scale to a potentially unlimited audience, right? Mm. My blog article could be read by 500 people or it could be read by a million people, but it's the same piece of content. Content scales indefinitely. It's not like you need to have more content to get more readers. What you need to have is really good content. Okay. Um, Curious then, what if you created the same quality content but more of it? Wouldn't that help you guys grow faster, hypothetically? Hypothetically, no. Here's why. Because there is a limit to how many – first of all, every piece of content needs to be promoted, okay? Yes. This is not a if you build it, they will come. You can't just put something out there and it gets picked up and just goes viral. That's not how it works. It must be promoted. So um, social sites are beginning to penalize people that aggressively promote over and over again, you know, the same piece of content. That's what algorithms do. They stop that from happening. There's algorithms everywhere. I don't think there's any social network that doesn't have them. So the moral of the story here is that if you get to the point where you're publishing 20 articles a day, do you think your audience has got time to receive all that promotion? Not at all. And what are you going to do? Send out a newsletter with 20 <laughs> things in it and you know they're going to click on the first one and that's it? So it's not scalable. It's just not. And it's because everything that you do must be promoted and must have some sort of plan behind it. How many times do you publish a day on your Instagram account? Oh, for our Instagram, you know, five to eight times a day. Right. And how many on Facebook? Ooh, not sure. Probably similar. Maybe more. Right. So, but the moral of the story is that you're not just publishing links to articles. You're publishing things that are uh, graphics that are designed to spur some sort of an emotional or illicit response, right? Correct. If everything that you posted was simply just a link back to your website, what's going to happen with those social networks? They're going to stop showing your stuff because they're going to say all this company cares about is linking to themselves and your fans might not even follow you. So yeah, the moral of the story is you're going to, you're going to hit some sort of a maximum threshold for your audience. Now the only exception to this is if you are trying to simultaneously attract many different audiences to you, which is not the objective of my company. You know, if I was trying to attract internet marketers, email marketers, social media marketers, direct response marketers, public relations, you know, then maybe I should be generic and publish tons of content for everyone, but then no one, and then I would never be known for anything. Mm, you don't and because I'm, down. yeah, because I'm extremely focused on social media marketing. There's just so much content that the social media marketer has room for in their brain. Therefore, we don't go crazy overboard. Gotcha. That makes sense. So look, we have to work towards wrapping up, but I'm curious around your team. And I think people would find this interesting because, um, you know, you do produce a lot of content. Like, you know, that's that's no easy feat, you know, seven, eight articles a week, six articles a week. That's that's no easy feat. So talk to us about your team and what your company structure looks like in terms of your team and, and, and running, 
you know, a high traffic media company? There's 43 people inside the company and we are, there's only six people at corporate headquarters in San Diego and then everyone else works out of their house. Um, it's technically a virtual company and we have a lot of specialists, you know, like our editorial team has got quite a few specialists on it. Um, and it, it is a lot of work. Uh, we have staff writers and then we also have people that are just average everyday people that's, that say, Hey, I would like to write for you. And they go through a vetting process, uh, at socialmediaexaminer.com slash writers. And, um, every article gets a good thousand dollars worth of development, internal labor costs applied to it because there's a whole bunch of different people on the team that go through what we call a beautification process to take the article from what was submitted to something that's ready for us to publish on social media examiner. But we have, uh, let's see, I think six divisions. We've got a social division. We've got the editorial division. We've got the sales division, which sells sponsorships for the conference. Uh, we've got the events division and we've got the society division and I'm probably skipping one for some reason. I can't remember what the sixth one is. Oh, marketing, market, the marketing division. So, um, and those are the core parts of the company. And uh, I am the chief copywriter. Oh, I'm really? The, you're, you're copy? I'm, I'm the copywriter, dude. I write all, oh. let, me, let me rephrase. I write every headline for Social Media Examiner. I write, uh, I review every single email that goes out um, for our sales stuff. I'm also the, um, even though I'm the CEO, I also, uh, oversee marketing. Uh, even though we have a head of marketing, I'm kind of, it's my secret sauce, you know? So half of my time is dedicated to the marketing side of the company. Yeah. Wow. Um, a couple questions. I know I'm really enjoying this conversation. Um, talk to me around the beautification process. What well, could you, can you just give some insight quickly around like how many hoops does one piece of content have to go through and, and for how many people before it gets published? I'm really curious around that. Well, back in the early days, we had six editors working on every article. Wow. Now I think we're down to four or five. So, um, just to give you the quick skinny, it comes in and it goes through an initial team that reviews it and rejects it or accepts it or sends it back for revision. And then once it comes in for revision, then it goes to a developmental editor and the developmental editor is like a book editor who goes in and actually uh, tightens up the entire thing. Then it goes to um, a copy editor who looks at it for syntax and grammar. Then it goes to the director, the main editor who uh, has a once over on it. Then it comes to me and I have the right to reject anything and I do reject stuff. And I'm looking at the opening paragraph and the headlines. Then it goes back to another editor that preps it for publication. And then it goes to a designer who creates the images for the article. Yeah. Wow. That's intense. Impressive <laughs> though. Impressive. Impressive. Yeah. I've always, I've always run it like a print magazine. You know, yeah. it's always been about really high quality. Yeah, no, I can, I can definitely see that. Um, all right. Awesome. Well, look, um, we have to work towards wrapping up, Michael, but uh, one last question, um, two, two last questions. The first one is, is you being the, the copy guy, um, isn't like from a, from a business building standpoint, uh, you shouldn't be the technician? I, I just wanted to ask that question. It's a, good, it's a good question. I believe that everybody has a secret um, a superpower, and I happen to know that I am a very good copywriter. 
And just like I'm sure, and I, I don't even, I don't, you know, Bill Gates probably coded right up until he couldn't code anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, it's, it's a special craft that's been built over 20 years and I'm just really, really good at it. So for me, it takes me less than a half an hour to do the copy edits for all the articles for the week of social media examiner. Oh, that's easy it, done then. Yeah. It's just cause I can do it with my eyes closed Yeah, and then to, to write an email, um, it's critical because, you know, I know how to persuade. So I might spend half an hour writing an email and then it goes to someone on the marketing team who cleans it up. But there, I believe that, um, everybody has a craft and a specialty and you don't have to give it up to grow your business. And I think this is one of the things that, um, a lot of people believe that they have to give up what they love to grow their business. And I'm here to tell you, that's not true. You don't have to just give up what you don't like and keep what you love. Love it. All right. Second last question around building an asset based business, uh, incorporating your, you as, uh, as part of it, cause you do do the podcast and all those kinds of things. Uh, and I don't, I'm putting you on the spot here, so you don't have to answer this, but, um, have you had any acquisition offers for your, five. I've had five. Okay. <laughs> five. And, and I you, said no to all of them. And why was that? Because they it wasn't, it, it, this is what you're going to do? Or? I, no, it's, no, it's because I know, I, I know that what I have is a once in a lifetime thing and I don't want to give it up. I'm not for sale. And I look at people like Dave Ramsey, who's built this monster following as the personality. And I think you can still be the personality and have a big old company behind you. He's got like 600 employees behind him. And, um, you know, if someone did buy social media examiner, you know, obviously I could keep the podcast or I could sell it and we'd get a new host. I mean, there's nothing we're doing that couldn't be replicated by someone else, but, but in the end, I, I love what I'm doing and I don't know what I would do if I sold the business. Love it. Awesome. Well, look, this has been an awesome conversation, Michael. You've, you've shared so much gold. So where's the best place people can find you if they want to know more? If you want to find out Social Media Marketing World uh, or Social Media Examiner or my podcast called Social Media Marketing, you can just go to socialmediaexaminer.com and there's links to everything there. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time, Michael. It was an absolute pleasure. My pleasure. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed this interview as you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.